beginning in verse 14. And I remind you that Paul has been dealing with the Corinthians' pride at the root of all the division and strife that they've been dealing with. They've had pride about personalities. They've had pride about philosophy. They've had pride about power, who's in charge, that kind of thing. And as typical, God directs Paul not only to confront their carnality and their puffed-up nature, which we've been talking about for the last several weeks, but now he comes down and he talks to them about his fatherhood. Now, I'm not just talking to fathers this morning. We're talking about spiritual birthing. Look with me at the text, if you would. Paul says, through the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? I want us to consider this morning spiritual birthing. That's what Paul is addressing here in this particular text. And as Bill pointed out, you've got to let a physical birth occur. And then you and I have the privilege as human beings of seeing spiritual birthing takes place. So I want us to look this morning at birthing spiritual children. I've actually entitled the message being a two-pronged pro-life church. Being a two-pronged pro-life church. A church that advocates for the unborn. I want to remind you, God hates them that shed innocent blood. That's not my thought. That is my sentiment. And if God hates them, what should I do? Huh? Are you there? You say, wait a minute. We don't want to be hateful. You're right. But is there righteous indignation? There absolutely is. And when God says he hates those that shed innocent blood, blood it's it's do you know anybody more innocent than a baby in the womb we spend more time protecting animals than we do protecting children and that is a terrible crime against humanity we're bothered about crimes against humanity all over the world and yet we ought to be concerned about our own abortion industry here in the states but my text is about you and me 
birthing spiritual children. I want you to note, first of all, the warning given. The warning given. Notice he says in verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, that is your pride, your arrogance, all that you're doing, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. The word warn there means to caution or to correct in love with a goal of change. By the way, that's what preaching is designed to do. It's designed to take what God says, convey it to a group of people. Not that we would listen and say, good message, pastor. But that we would say, God spoke to my heart today. And here's what I need to be doing differently than what I've been doing. We all need spiritual change. And so what we find here is um, Paul addresses them as his children. Now I remind you, Paul can do that because in Acts chapter 18, Paul spends a year and a half in Corinth ministering to those people leading many to the Lord Jesus Christ. He brought spiritual birth to that city and to many that are there. And I want you to note the first warning is about, and you, and you notice it's interesting there, um, when he says in verse 15, though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many, what? It's springtime, folks. We can, we can enjoy spring. Are you there? He doesn't have many fathers. He's got 10,000 instructors in Christ, but not many fathers. What is he talking about here? He's talking about that there's a difference between being the teacher to some children and being the father of some children. Would you agree with that? There is a filial difference there that is significant, very very important. And because most people in here um, are parents, I want to help us to see this analogy this morning. Um, And here's what I wrote down the first warning. To not allow children to be influenced spiritually by just instructors. You know when D.L. Moody got involved in the Sunday school movement, you know what his grave concern was? That parents would relinquish the responsibility of training their children spiritually over to Sunday school teachers. Moody wasn't saying bad to have Sunday school teachers. He was saying if you're a parent here today, make sure that if you're the father and mother here today, make sure you are doing far above and beyond what the teachers are doing that are teaching your children. This is not against spiritual instruction. This is about fathering, spiritual birthing our children and ministering to them. In fact, the Greek word is 
pedagogos, we get our word pedagogue or pedagogy. That's what the word instructor means in the Greek. And literally, we might say it's a servant who took children to school. It's somebody who uh, helped them in the educational process that were not the father or the mother. So you can see here, Paul, by God's Spirit, is reminding them that if you have birthed a spiritual child, you have a tremendous responsibility. By the way, how long are you a father to your children? All your life. All your life. Thursday night, we had a parent meeting of all the parents that have children in our school. And the purpose of the meeting was to talk about re-enrollment and was also talk about, and we're going to talk more about this tonight, a number of transitions that are going to be happening at Eagle Heights. And the one we shared Thursday night was that at the end of this school year, Miss Carrie Bear is going to be the new principal of Eagle Heights Christian School. And she stood up, and I, I told her afterwards how proud I was of what she shared. She shared about a broken home, but about a couple. Carrie, remind me of their name. Moore, the Moore family, isn't it? I've never met the Moore family, as I don't think. And um, you know what the Moore family did? The Moore family invested in her before she was a believer. The Moore family led her to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, maybe the most amazing thing is the Moore family called her every Sunday morning. What's the phrase, Carrie? Are you are you vertical? You vertical, Carrie? That's spiritual birthing. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about you and me having the great privilege. You know, we can see in God's word that there are a lot of uh, ways God describes us. He says we're ambassadors. That's kind of a government title. He says we're witnesses. That's kind of a judicial uh, statement. Um, we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians, he talks about we're slaves, servants, and stewards. That's kind of a domestic thing. But here in chapter 4, 14 through the end of the chapter, he's talking about a family relationship. Spiritually birthing new believers. He says, hey, instructors are good. But if you're the father, you have an awesome responsibility. So we have physical birth, but now that's not the end. God doesn't want just physical birth. He wants people to be born again, born a second time. How can that be? Only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Only by receiving him by faith and putting our trust in him. I want you to notice some uh, one other warning that I see here. If you go back to the text for going 
go down to um, verse 15, the very end. He says, Yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Through the gospel. God's word is warning us to never stray from the gospel. Folks, it's not enough to go out and write letters to Lauren Arthur or anybody else who has influence in passing legislation. That isn't the bottom line. But the bottom line is to reach them with the good news that Jesus saves. That's what they need. You change a person's heart to be a believer, and you're going to change their political perspective. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. It may take some instructing and training if they've been entrenched for a long time in the ways of the world. But the truth of the matter is a heart change, a change to the word of God and the gospel, ought to change everything about us. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's the way God has a plan. A whole new perspective on physical life and spiritual life. God wants us to be faithful fathers. And and ladies, again, I'm using that term in the spiritual sense. So if you want to put mothering in there, I'm, I'm good with that. My point is, how do we take care of children? We do everything. We carry them around in those fancy little car seats these days that have multiple purposes and protect them in an accident. And, and we, we put tremendous time and effort into giving them the greatest opportunity to be what? An adult. The goal isn't to stay a baby. The goal is to become an adult. And we've looked at some of that. We talked about milk and meat and some of the things here as we've gone through or going through the book of Corinthians. So you see significant warnings. But secondly, he says, I not only want to warn you, I want you to watch carefully that you follow me. Look at verse 16. He says, therefore, or wherefore I beseech ye, be ye followers of me. I remind you, these Corinthians hadn't seen Paul for some time. And he writes this letter to them, and the letter's pretty pointed Pretty hard, pretty in your face. All you got to do is read it to see. If you and I received a letter like that, you know, it'd make you say, okay, am I going to take, am I going to be guilty here or am I going to say Paul is all wrong? And what am I going to do? And so here we are and Paul's saying, listen, I'm going to come. But I want you to know that I've been living the gospel. In fact, you remember in prior weeks, and I know we had our mission conference and some things in there, Paul gave quite a contrast in chapter 4 between the treatment that he had been receiving as an ambassador for Christ, as a champion of the gospel, and what they were experiencing. They were getting all kinds of Nice things happen, and Paul was getting rebuke and scorn and stonings and shipwrecks and every other kind of thing. And he's pointing out to them that I want you to know I'm doing this for you because I'm the father and you are the children. You are 
the children. Fathers are to be right examples. Now we could go off on a tangent here and wouldn't be a bad tangent, but a tangent about dads, what kind of example are you? Do your kids see Christ's likeness in you? Do your kids see humility? Do they see spiritual leadership? Do they see a dad that prays, has devotions, comes to church, is involved in church? All of those things are significantly important. And it's natural for children. In fact, I think it's Proverbs that says that um, children are a crown of old men. And basically, men, fathers, look at our children and we want to look with pride. But I'll tell you this, our children want to look to us and be proud of us, be encouraged by how we're doing and what we're doing. So it becomes very, very important that we see in an earthly sense, that's key, we all understand that. But Paul is not talking about an earthly, physical fathering here. It's pretty clear, isn't it? He's talking about spiritual fathering. In fact, he says that this watching is really twofold. We ought to watch the Word of God. We ought to watch that we're always following people that are following the Word of God. James says this, Of his own will begat he us with the Word of God truth. God has brought us to spiritual life through his word and so we've got to be watchful that we're always using the word of God. Bringing us into remembrance. Helping us. He says I want you to reflect on the ways that God has directed here. And he's saying faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How important it is. Constantly in the Bible, we are challenged to balance two biblical truths. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And I want to remind you, the Bible never says one over the other. They always go together. Salvation is through Christ alone. But we are ambassadors. Those tracks you have... Helps us be an ambassador. The word that we can share with people that we meet, we talk to, God wants to use us. In fact, I thought about this this week. You remember Paul in chapter 3 talked about um, husbandry. You are my husbandry. He gives all kinds of illustrations here. But I couldn't help but think, and I wrote this, weeds grow everywhere without anybody planting them. But crops only grow by deliberate, concerted labor and care. Isn't that true? Farmers have to work diligently to plant the seed in good straight rows in the right depth. Then they rely on God to bring the moisture and all that's needed for that. I have a few questions that I wrote down for myself and for you. 
Here was my first question. Are we hearing the cries of newborn babes in Christ sitting among us? Now, they don't cry out like a baby cries in the nursery. But you know what? They have lots of needs, lots of answers to their question. Paul says, I've begotten you. I've birthed you. And he's talking about it in the context. This is some time later. This is a few years later. And he's still concerned about their spiritual well-being. Isn't that what a father should do? Are we as a church pro-life? You say, yes, we're for Rachel House and we're for doing all kinds of good things. I agree. But this text points us to, wait a minute. What are we doing to birth people into the kingdom of God? Are we hearing the cries of new babes in Christ? Calls them beloved sons. That word beloved is the strongest of the love words. Agapao. It's the kind of love that only God can do. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. That's what we need, church. We need an enlarged heart and a mouth that's freely open to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing sweeter than newborn babes hungry to grow in Christ. You remember those days? You remember when you first trusted Christ? For some, it's been a long time. But man, the excitement of, wait a minute, I've got a book to guide me. Not just a bunch of feelings and opinions that are all over the place. Wow, what an awesome book. Where do I start? (laughs) Where do I read first? You want me to turn to Haggai? Where's Haggai? You know what I'm saying? If we're truly a pro-life church, We're not just about physical birth. We're we're about physical birth followed as quickly as possible by spiritual birth. Would you agree? Are you with me this morning? That is what we're talking about. So we ought to be praying about. That's what we ought to be doing as we go day to day in our lives. I see one last thing. Look at verse 18 and 19. Paul has to again confront them. He says, now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. You know what, folks? When the Lord returns, yeah, we're going to give an account for every idle word, 
But Paul is saying here, listen, you may have said all kinds of right things, but I want to know, is the power of Christ working in and through you to birth spiritual children? Isn't that what it's saying there? And he's saying, and I wrote down this, waiting is needed. Warning, watching, and waiting. Waiting is needed. Patience with spiritual children is crucial. God wants us to patiently, lovingly, compassionately pray and give and invest and teach and do practical things to help those who we have personally been involved in with spiritual birth. I was really uh, challenged by going over this. And the way I like to do it is I like to start on Monday or Sunday night and read what the next section of Scripture is and read it multiple times and meditate and think about it. And you've heard me talk about Zach. He's the one that Wrote me the card in the hospital, be the stone in David's sling, you know. And just recently I was talking to Zach. He normally comes to my office because he's in trouble, okay. But I don't think I told you this, but his mother made a trip over to, was it Ireland or Scotland or one of those places? And came back with a very nice wooden chessboard. And somebody told him that I played chess. And so um, I kept the chess board in my office. He let me. Um, and every time he had a good day, based on the teacher's report, he could come in, not during math, science, history, or English, but he could come in at a convenient time. Many times it was lunch, and we'd play chess together. Okay? And... Um, when I, when I talk to Zach, I talk about important things. And, um, you know, just recently, after he had been there for some wrong choices, I, um, I said, Zach, are you, um, you truly know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Pastor, don't you remember? Last fall, you led me to the Lord right here in this office. You know what I thought? What am I doing to spiritually birth that boy? Doesn't have a dad. Has a mom that's never been married. Never had any children of her own. Adopted this boy. You know what? That's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking to every one of us. And I guarantee you one thing, he was talking to me about Zach. What am I doing? If Zach has been birthed in Christ, by the way, you can trust Christ and still sin. Would you agree? I don't care how old you are. That's where we need to help. It's where we need to minister. It's where we need to be. 
I wrote, wrote down these four things as takeaways from Paul's admonition, verse 14 through 21. Under the title, Our Mission is Birthing Spiritual Children, I wrote this, being a loving father throughout their lives. A spiritual dad. Spiritual dad. Keeping the gospel central to all we do. I remind you that the gospel was saying, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sin. I, by faith, believe that the only way I'm going to go to heaven is by what Jesus did for me. Do you realize you can be a believer for 50 years and when you sin, you're praying the same prayer? I'm a sinner, I just sinned, and Jesus paid for that sin. Lord Jesus, will you forgive me? Keeping the gospel the central thing. Being an example to follow. Paul says, hey, listen, this is more than about words. This is about power and really living. What are you doing? And I'm disappointed because I've heard all kinds of things about the way you've been living, and they're not right. They're carnal. They're boastful, proud, arrogant. You need to change. And lastly, I wrote, by being patient with them and them with us. I like that book. One of the Trip Brothers, I think. And the subtitle is, it was there. Pardon me? Oh, thank you. Everybody needs a good wife. People in need of change. Helping people in need of change. I need changed, but that doesn't, I don't sit around and say, well, I haven't changed enough, I can't help anybody else. I guarantee you, Whatever journey God has brought you on, he's going to bring you into contact with other people that you're going to be able to minister to them and to help them and to encourage them and make a difference in their lives. Paul says, again, God says, really, it's not about 10,000 instructors in Christ. These weren't bad people. He's not speaking negatively about them. But he's talking about that special relationship between a believer and somebody that they lead to the Lord that ought to just go on and go on and go on. I wonder this morning, you birthed anybody lately? Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know, I remember that person who birthed me. I haven't contacted them in a long time. I'm looking, I'm looking up that lieutenant in the Salvation Army by the name of Jerry Skorzewski. How could you forget a name like that? He was the guy that led me to the Lord in the Salvation Army in Moline, Illinois. 15 years of age. Right down there. The altar. You know what? They'd love to hear from you. Don't you think? You know any dad who doesn't want to hear from their children? Mom's the same for you, right? 
Oh, we want to hear. Let's be a pro-life church, could we? In two ways. Physical and spiritual. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I confess to you that I don't believe I've been as fruitful as I should be. Lord, would you help this church body to see spiritual birthing occur in this year, 2019, in this month of March, and the month of April and May and June and July, all the way through? Lord, would you help us to find those that were instrumental in leading us to you and renew a right relationship with them, thanking them, encouraging them? Lord, I see in Paul here a real compassionate, loving burden to minister to these Corinthians. And they weren't the most lovely people at this time. Pretty clear. Just as we're not always very lovely. But Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for using ambassadors and others that at some point in our lives showed us how we could truly be born again. And Lord, I would be remiss this morning if I didn't ask you to minister to anybody sitting here today that has never received you by faith. Lord, we acknowledge you can sit in church a long time and not be a believer. So I pray that you would do a work as only you can do this morning. We look to you, Lord. We need you. We thank you for the convicting work you do in the lives of people. Help us to be ready ambassadors, faithful witnesses, good planters of the seed, good waterers of seed. But maybe most importantly, Lord, help us to be real fathers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together, can we? I call it the consecration hymn. Francis Havergal wrote it. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands. Take my voice. Take my possessions. Take myself. I give it all to you.